players gathered to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering, Ponder, Baleful Strix, Thassa's Oracle, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thorabian University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Eminence Gaming and Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToaMagic.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 87 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. Big events, big results. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week, available in our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access. How many minutes? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. It, it was closer to 50 this week. We went in on the Patreon intro this time, for sure. It, this is a good one to go check out. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of juicy stuff in there, including a legendary rabbit. Yes. Shout out, by the way, to our new patrons since the last episode. We've got Travis, Blaze, Parker, and Dylan who are going to enjoy those 50 minutes of content. And also shout out to Eminence Gaming, who is sponsoring this episode. They will be hosting Silicon Dynasty, a CEDH 4K in San Jose, California, January 14th to 15th. Registration is now open, and please visit https colon slash slash eminence dot events slash to sign up. With that, let's go ahead and hop into the main episode. Legacy doesn't always get a lot of huge events, and we're kind of in this glorious period where we have so many tournaments coinciding with a very interesting period of development with Legacy. So we're going to kind of walk through a narrative over um, the last two weeks or so, maybe going back a month for one or two things, kind of talking about Legacy from the time of the introduction of the White Initiative cards to Magic Online's, going through the paper American, North American rather, Eternal Weekend that just happened. Yeah, our last episode was about White Initiative, which is the catalyst of this interesting period of meta shifting all at once. The cards are not new, but they are new to Magic Online, thus they just enter the public perception for the first real time. A thing that I recognized when I was at the North American Paper Eternal Weekend last weekend is that if you're not dialed into Legacy Podcasts and the Magic Online metagame, you might not have even known White Initiative was coming for Eternal Weekend. The The folks who just, oh, it's that time of year, blow the dust off my Legacy deck and show up, they genuinely were not ready for this, even though it's all that those of us who are dialed in have been talking about for the last month, which was really shocking to see. That's such a good point and something I really wouldn't have picked on, picked up on without attending that event in paper. As as content creators, as people who are playing five plus leagues a week for content, we're so dialed in to like the pulse of the format, and it's easy to forget that the average legacy player, maybe even the average listener of this podcast, is is not doing anywhere near that much, you know? 
there's a guy who has a merfolk deck sitting in a box and every time he gets a chance to play a tournament you know he updates it with a couple new sideboard cards and you know goes to town i'm not trying to make fun of the individual here i don't even know who it was but tony scaponi of the epic gamble was 4-0 at paper american eternal weekend got paired against somebody on a control brew Tony cast Galvanic Relay. The opponent reached across the table and then just read it on camera. This is the average legacy player. And I'm not trying to like poke fun or anything here, but Brian hit the nail on the head, but he's like, people dust off their cards a couple times a year. And that's when they think about magic. It's not everyone is dialed in to the listener or is the listeners in this podcast or even us. Right. And, and the gap between storm has a pseudo necropotence now in galvanic relay white initiative is a meta defining deck it's like a whole new archetype that is taking the format by storm both legacy and vintage by the way it crushed the vintage event as well uh, ended up first place and three of the top eight in the paper eternal weekend north america this was the talk of everybody who was talking but a lot of people just weren't listening and you know, that's the appeal of these eternal formats. You don't they don't move that quick. You don't really need to know everything. Dark Ritual is still a powerful magic card. Force of Will still is a good answer to stuff. In a specific little pocket like this where this all unfolded quickly, it was really interesting to see. I, I did have people walk up to me straight up like, wow, I just got hit with some card I've never seen. It was called White white something i was like white plume adventure like yeah that that thing was crazy yep and just walking through the hall i could hear complaints it's like yeah i swords the plowshares the creature right away and it just didn't matter uh correct that is not how you answer a white initiative creature and yeah that that was live that was the last of the events we're going to talk about here so let's go back to the start of this tale which is november 19th which is the first magic online challenge with the white initiative decks legal where PVDH, Peter Vanderham, won it with that deck. Put it on the map immediately. And not only that, he won it, and one of his teammates that he was testing with the deck also top-aided with the deck. If memory serves, I believe they met in the finals. Yep. They had been playing these cards in paper for a while. They had a refined list when nobody else did. They got a hold of the cards quickly. And they cleaned up. And that was one of those moments that started to really put it on the map. Like every, everyone knew this was coming. And I don't know. I don't think people were expecting it to hit and start taking off that quickly, though. Right. We can move forward from that. There was a lot of talk on uh, for th those of us who are plugged into all this stuff, which, as we just discussed, is not the majority of players on Twitter immediately. It was like range things ranged from this is a permanent part of the metagame to this is kind of cracked to we need a ban to there was actually a a like 36 hour war between legacy and commander players on twitter it got really ugly and toxic by the way everybody just take a breath everyone's playing magic the existence of commander does not hurt the existence of legacy and vice versa many of us do both just fucking chill yo that said uh, it got kind of crazy in that first week and a half for those of us who are terminally online. The next thing that rolled out on November 26th was the Asia Championship, which is an Eternal Weekend, right? That was officially... Yes. They gave out the paintings and stuff. Yes. Yeah, so this is Asia Eternal Weekend. The top eight of that event was one Moon Stompy, one Ad Nauseum Tendrils, three Delver, one Belcher. Belcher, folks. This is what we're talking about. The people who blow the dust off their old deck box and just show up. Belcher. Oops, all spells is better than that deck in every conceivable axis. And it's just Belcher. 
I recorded with that list, Brian. It did not have the new modal lands. It was actually still running Taiga Land Grant. It was running Desperate Ritual. No just or it had one Jusk as well in it. Uh, it had Fourth Seething Song. No Guacamole Goblin. It was like a deck straight out of 2013. It probably literally was just a pre-COVID deck. Oh, I play some Legacy, whatever. But I don't know. I'm probably insulting some Japanese Belgian master who knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> but, you know, this is how I feel about it. One four color control and one sneak and show. Sneak and show. What the shit, by the way. Uh, another sleeper hit from the ancient times. You don't run into that one very much on Magic Online in the, the main metagame, but it's one of those decks that always shows up in paper. It's it's kicking around in someone's deck box. At the end of our last episode, we said that that would be a deck to come back to beat initiative. Yep. It's also really good against four color control, which I hate putting propaganda out there that hurts my own deck. But uh, of all decks that I could ever play against that I don't really want to see, Sneaky Joe's probably top three. So the thing that I want to point out from this event is that the winning Moon Stompy decklist is on Four Caves of Chaos Adventurer. And that was a card that I got a lot of shit for playing. You know, people are like, why are you playing a four mana card? This deck is, you know, so efficient. It can just play all three drops. And I kind of poo-pooed that and I started testing with that card. And I was like, hey, folks, this card's really, really good. You should be playing this card. Here it is taking down like the the Asia Eternal Weekend. And we are seeing it in a lot of uh, red-white initiative builds as well. It absolutely will just solo a game of magic very quickly. It starts out as a 5-3, then you get two plus one plus one counters, it attacks for seven, you go to trap, they drain for five, and they're basically dead after two attack steps. It's also drawing cards along the way. There's just this extra line of text on this card that when it attacks, you flip your top card and you can play it this turn, which is completely egregious. Didn't need that, but boy does it have it. And if you've completed a dungeon, you get to do it for free. Just cast the thing for free. This was relevant in one of my recent Commander games as well, uh, which it's wilder there when it gets to hit higher CMC things. Okay, and before you get any ideas about like just putting Emrakul into your initiative decks, I don't recommend it. I tried it. Don't do it. I saw you with Grizzle Brandon play next to an initiative creature. Uh, I have sc- I have the screenshots. I have done it. I, I tested Grizzlebrand and Archon of Cruelty. I tested it so you didn't have to. Not Not all testings are successes, but let's move on. Yes, uh, on my channel, I call that the Thomas Edison Award of what did not work. Anyway, there is no white initiative the second week. The 26th is one week after the 19th, which is when PVDH spiked the legacy, uh, the, the Moto tournament in paper in Asia. There was no white initiative in this top eight. I don't know. We don't have the full standings here. We're not. Uh, we, we do. There's two copies in the top 32, but they they are towards the very tail end. Okay. It's like 28th and 29th or something like that at a quick glance. It was at the event, but didn't didn't put up results there for one reason or another. Right. So either low representation or a low top 32 conversion, nothing in the top 16, nothing in the top eight. However, the winning Moon Stompy deck did play for initiative creatures, the one that it gets in its color. So initiative present, but not really part of the story yet. So then we'll fast forward about another, or I I guess actually it's just 24 hours later, because that was the 27th. So this is the Magic Online Showcase Challenge, which is a small challenge. You know, it's it's 84 players at the end of the day, which is a solid legacy tournament, but it's not as big as, you know, Eternal Weekend or something like that. And the Showcase Challenge is is something you have to qualify for by grinding points throughout the season, right? Yes. 
yeah, so these are 84, at least good enough to grind up their, their qualifier points players. It's a small field and it's a skilled field. So on the topic of the initiative, Mono White Initiative wins the event with a Red White Initiative in third place as well. And rounding it out, there's a four color control, two Delvers, one eight cast, a Naya mid-range deck that I guess you could call Maverick. Hey, another copy of Snake and Show. Are, are we sure that Initiative won this? Because didn't Matthew Vuk win this with the four-color control? Oh, I see. This is just MTG top eight results being wrong then. All right, yeah. Because I, I remember shaking in my boots when we recorded our White Initiative episode. I think two episodes ago, White Initiative was coming, but we hadn't seen it in action yet, and I was shaking in my boots. And then our last episode... I talked about Matthew's list a lot and how he had pivoted the four color control hot bant shell to play two main deck dress down and a torpor orb in the sideboard, which with the four forces, two dress downs, torpor orb, you have seven ways to stop the initiative from entering the game versus white's eight ways to initiate the initiative. And you're a brainstorm EI deck and they're drawing off the top. Matthew skewed his deck really hard to just have to beat a white creature deck and not have to beat the initiative as a mechanic. And that gave me a lot of hope. That really solidified me that there's chance. And he either went three and one or four and one against white initiative in that tournament. Only one of his many white initiative opponents beat him. That just uh, empowered me to play the deck I wanted to play for Eternal Weekend. And fans, if you're listening, that was actually a recording from last week's episode. That was not Brian Koval live. That was the conversation from last week. Uh, still very relevant. Yes, I said all the same things last time. So there's a lot of interesting tech at work in Legacy right now. And I guess just kind of as an aside, I think this is a good point to talk about this. I have written like 10,000 words on the initiative for my Patreon. I've been watching these deck lists closely and kind of watching the development. There is not one initiative deck. Like, we're, we're, you know, we're calling it initiative stompy, dungeon stompy, mono white stompy, red white stompy, like what, whatever you want to call it. There's not one solidified version right now. There is a ton of variation in what exactly these deck lists are doing. Some have Chalice in the main. Some have Swords of Plowshares in the main. Some splash a color. Some are even doing some absolutely crazy things, like playing Chancellor of the Annex and or Gemstone Caverns. The initiative deck list is new enough and is being iterated on a whole lot, but there's not solid conclusions for what the best build is, so... Be expecting some variation, and maybe don't just playtest against one version if you're preparing for something serious. I did see that Daryl Ayers, on his way home from Eternal Weekend, tweeted his list, and it was actually Naya Initiative, with green primarily for Once Upon a Time, but other than that, it was pretty dedicated red-white, so that was my first time seeing three-color initiative. Like Phil said, there's just so much out there, and in my testing... And in the Storm Discord, uh, after the first week or so, people are like, yes, all the lists are dropping Archon of Emeria. And I'd be like, sweet, I don't need to play this card. And then I'd hop into Magic Online queues, and three opponents in a row would have Archon of Emeria in there. So you just can't make any assumptions. Yeah, the, the shell is wide open. Just Chrome Mox, Ancient Tomb, the eight initiative creatures, and then Season to Taste. Okay, yeah, That's so pretty much where we are. I, I don't fully agree with that, because... Some of them are playing Mox Diamond instead. I, I wrote a whole article on this. It's on my Patreon. I don't mean to just plug this, but I've been vomiting words on it. It may be correct for some of the red-white builds specifically. 
to run Mox Diamond instead of Chrome Mox, but I don't, I don't need to get into the nitty gritty of all of that here. If well, you subscribe you see, to Phil's Diamond. Patreon, uh, the, the Eternal Glory podcast actually gets 25% of it uh, because of Phil Schilling. So please subscribe to Phil's Patreon so we can get 25%. Thank you. <laughs> also, I, I, I'm happy to tackle this one. You see Chrome Mox taps for a single color of mana most of the time where Mox Diamond taps for any color of mana all of the time. Therefore, if you have more than one color in your deck, it becomes better. Subscribe to my Patreon. Cool. We've, we've, we've covered that. There, <laughs> th- th- there's more, but that's that's a short enough answer for now. Didn't even need 10,000 words. That was like 20 words. I can see why you're going full time, Brian. You just have so much talent. We got this down to a science. Let's go forward a few more days then. Let's go to the European Legacy Masters, which was another 84 player event. Uh, this was on December 4th, where we have two initiative decks, a reanimator deck, a four-color control deck, Doomsday, two copies of Cephalid Breakfast, and one Delver deck. Is it weird that both of these events had exactly 84 players? It is very weird, yeah. That's is a... this confirmation of the Illuminati or something? Probably. It's just a very strange number to have exactly the same. I would have said no, but the fact that there's two Cephalid Breakfast decks, I'm willing to bet that this was rigged. Right. Uh, almost guaranteed. But in, in seriousness, Initiative did take first place in this tournament. Uh, as well as uh, one of the fifth through eighth place spots. Right. Uh, with one of those decks there, uh, Rodrigo Tagores' version being the Mox Diamond version that was red-white. Yeah, so we've, we've talked about the Initiative quite a bit. Uh, reanimator is the this is the only appearance of reanimator we're going to mention in this episode what's up with reanimator i just see that in the moto leagues guaranteed one out of five rounds maybe two and then i i've never seen this deck in real life yeah uh magic online leagues tend to be very very combo heavy i feel you i feel like as, as someone who plays a deck that preys on control decks playing leagues feels very bad because it's just like mono Carneco's reanimator and moon stompy there is the speed of it of just you know i i can bang out a league in 45 minutes and be on with my day if you're just grinding but but reanimator is actually good too that deck is genuinely powerful beats a lot of stuff and people just don't show up with it in real life but somebody did at the, the european legacy masters and they were rewarded with a top eight spot. One of the ways that I would want to beat initiative is casting the card show and tell. Like it, it's hard to race an Emrakul. You can do it. Um, it involves playing season dungeoneer on turn one and your opponent dealing two points of damage to themselves, I believe is the math on it. So like you can race an Emrakul or a, a Grizzlebrand on turn two when you're on the play with the initiative. But otherwise, like it's, it's just kind of like not happening a good portion of the time and a lot not all but a lot of the hate cards don't really interact with that so if you're on the chalice versions that doesn't do anything to interact with a show and tell and a lot of the versions i've seen though have four solitude and then one to three palace jailer all of which are horrible things to put in off show and tell it historically death and taxes has preyed on show and tell as an archetype or at least in the pre-omniscience times like is it that bad for initiative? Since Phil shilled a ton so far, I'm going to shill a video. I recorded Hypergenesis. That video will be live for us tomorrow and probably I can't wait to hear yesterday. how this is relevant. Oh, it's very I'm so relevant. excited. 
I'm yeah, so excited. It, it really is. So it will be live yesterday for those of you listening to this now. That makes no sense, and I'm glad. Anyway, there's a hypergenesis video. My only two losses in the video are to Model White Initiative, and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm just going to put my, like, Embercool or Gristlebrand into play, and every single time they're, like, Initiative Creature Solitude. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Or they'd be like initiative creature Caracas. I'm like, they only have like one or two Caracas every single time. Uh, both matches, it was just like natural Caracas and I would get wrecked. So you, you lost to it, but conceptually, do you think that should be going in your favor? If they're on solitude? No. Previously, I don't know if I've ever noticed solitude in the deck because as a storm player, I tend to gloss over cards that don't have text on them. But when playing Hypergenesis, I was like, oh man, solitude, this is so backbreaking. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on how squeezy the initiative build is. I imagine you could just go balls to the walls with creatures. Maybe that's worse. It, it, it might start to feel like elves versus show and tell at some level of, of creature speed. But if you're on Thalia and I don't know if these decks are playing thorns at all in the sideboard or elsewhere. Okay, so uh, the... If you're just on heavy creature shit, uh, also touch the spirit realm comes right in off show and tell. There's a lot. There's more cards that answer a resolve show and tell monster than there are show and tells. And it's not even close. All right. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. Conceptually, that's something I was afraid of. I'm also afraid of Cascade Rhino deck, oddly. Yeah, that one is actually a, a shithouse against white initiative because getting two creatures with trample i play a white plume you get two four four rhinos and then you do it again the sideboard cards don't line up well against it either where like oh i can play this deafening silence that doesn't actually beat shardless agent it doesn't beat a turn zero violent outburst either let me tell you because i did that in a video i was against white initiative and they were on the play and they cast deafening silence. And in response, I went spirit guide, spirit guide, spirit guide, violent outburst. And then they died. I recommend taking that line if you get it. Yeah, that that seems good. Even if there's not a second crash of rhinos coming, just attack with one 4-4 trampler. Take the initiative, leave the other 4-4 trampler back to, to stuff the 3-3. That's a plan. I just want to point out that I was like, I'd like to talk about hypergenesis. And Brian was like, I can't wait to hear how this is relevant. And now he's like, well, let me tell you about the other cascade deck that makes rhinos. As if that's somehow more normal than hypergenesis. I was just excited to hear about hypergenesis. Obviously, hypergenesis is just Eureka, which is also just show and tell. And it's exactly what we were talking about. I was trying to podcast in an exciting way, Brian Cook. Way to, <laughs> way to just pull back the curtain. So uh, can, can we skip ahead to the next event? So do we not want to talk about Cephalid Breakfast? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, I've been seeing this deck a lot over the past probably six months. There was a Yorion build, and then it kind of tightened up into a non-Yorion build. I'm scared of this deck with the type of deck that I play. Just having to beat a Stoneforge Mystic Cauldra situation while they also have a turn two combo with Force of Will backup potential. This shit is real, and the package is tight enough that you're just in a little Esper deck. And yeah, I have a lot of respect for this deck, but I don't know enough to actually register it myself. It's good, and it gets to not care if your opponent has the initiative like Thassa's oracle doesn't give a shit who has the initiative which is also true of the doomsday deck that's in this topic so i think adding urza saga to the deck list is really interesting that's something that a lot of the older yorian builds i think weren't doing or at least i didn't see that when i was playing against them that just gives you another way to find shuko so like you have stone forges to find it you have urza saga to find it and like 
you can play one or two Shukos, depending on kind of how you want to approach that. And you have a lot of ways to go off with your Cephalid Illusionist. So you have the four Illusionists, the four Nomads in core, and then, you know, seven or eight tutors to find a Shuko as well. And you can just, like, play cantrips. Yeah, and Saga gives you such a crazy self-contained fair plan against people who want to play control against you. Like, if you imagine a t- the type of hand that I'd want to keep against this deck would be, like, two lands, swords to plowshares, force blue card, ponder, or something like that. But if you just Urza Saga, make a construct, make a construct, if it doesn't look like the coast is clear, tutor up Aether Vial, start taking that up. Just take your time against someone who's not pressuring you. Or just put the Shuko in play and make it so they can never deploy their removal on the constructs you just made, or else they die, or at least you're threatening death immediately one thing about the cephalid breakfast deck is its core for the most part is 15 plus years old and has not changed uh for the last 15 years it has been a deck that's beaten every single deck that i play because at its core it's a deck with cabal therapy thoughts these days force a will and it can win on turn two like the deck is actually really good if you're not playing a deck like delver and cephalid illusionist nomads and core like they've just been around forever like judgment was like what 2001 2002 or torment i'm sorry it's torment right was javier dominguez one of the pilots of cephalid breakfast in the top eight no okay because he's been working on this deck for a long time as well magic world champion javier dominguez Uh, i i don't know if these other breakfast people were friends of his or got access to what he was doing or what but uh, there are powerful players who could do whatever they want choosing to focus on this deck i know andrea mangucci likes it too their deck lists are pretty different without without like thumbing through it the sideboards in particular are vastly different like one of them including very narrow cards such as virtues ruin which destroys all white creatures uh, just a small amount of respect for white initiative while also killing stoneforge mystic and nomads core it's good deck building um generally speaking right now decks like this that have a win condition that does not involve caring about combat are probably well positioned. I have heard lots of people kind of chattering about Painter online. I haven't played Painter much recently myself. I've been hearing some good things. I don't know where the data's at on that, though, because I'm not seeing them in finishes. Where is the White Initiative community on Wasteland? Is that a thing, or are you just trying to add mana at all points i think running wasteland is very difficult there were some early builds that did it but uh what it boils down to is trying to run four ancient tombs four city of traders on top of one or two colors plus a handful of utility lands it's very difficult to want to try to put the squeeze on your opponent's mana when you want to be casting four and sometimes five drop cards yeah that that's what i thought i remember seeing it early but it doesn't make a lot of sense in what the deck's trying to do similarly some of the early builds also played urza's saga um and that's kind of fallen by the wayside for the most part for similar greed reasons yeah that's kind of a mess all right, um, why don't we move on to the Four Seasons Top 8 deck list. This was 408 players from December 6th with three Delver, one Death Shadow, another Cephalid Breakfast, one Initiative, hey, there's a Painter deck list, and one essentially blue-white control deck list with a very light red splash. Oh shit, this is Justin Ganari. Yeah, yeah, Justin Top 8 this event on Painter. How many of that uh, that 5-drop weirdo is in the deck and also tell me what its name is 
because I forget. Are you talking about Fury? No, there, there's a card. You might have to dig into Top 16. Calvin Smith Top 16 to this event as well, uh, host of Everyday Eternal. Go check that out. But he, there is a Warhammer 40k commander card that is three red black for a 3-3. When it enters the battlefield or dies, choose a permanent controlled by each opponent and destroy one of those cards at random and in 1v1 you only have one opponent so it's just vindicate and he played three of these in his goblin welder deck and just whipping them around destroying board states like crazy oh i I remember this conversation yeah justin was tweeting like i was an idiot i should have played that card despite top eighting without it callum did say one is probably the right number but he went in on three for this event i'll try to find the name of this card for people to look it up while Brian's doing that, so I'd like to point out we have three Delver and one Dust Shadow. That's roughly half the top. I mean, it is half the top eight. Dust Shadow is essentially the Delver deck with a slightly different shell. It's really the first big finish for Delver since we go back to the Asian Championship where there's also three Delver in that top eight. We have two in the Showcase Challenge, which is 84, and then one in the European Legacy Masters. I just want to make note of this because people are focusing so much on initiative right now that they're kind of forgetting about the boogeyman behind them. When you see the talk on Twitter right now, a lot of it's focused on like, we have to do something about initiative, but Delver's just here bullying people in the background going like, yeah, we still have expressive iteration in Merktide. Like the deck is still very, very good. Yeah, it is impossible to argue with Delver of Secrets. We had three, just the events we've talked about, three Delver in the asia ew two delver in the showcase challenge one delver in the european legacy masters and three delver here and spoiler three delver in online eternal weekend and two delver in paper american eternal Week. this delver is just here it is the most represented deck across all of these top eight also before we lose it forever that card is called chaos defiler it's not a three three it's a five four trample good god this thing is way gnarlier than I thought it was. Uh, and it, it's non-land permanent, so you can't destroy lands. Let the record show. But yeah, uh, Callum played three of those. So I want to talk about one other card here, uh, and that is Snuff Out. For those of you who haven't played against Death Shadow a lot, Snuff Out technically costs three colorless and a black, but if you control a swamp, you can pay four life instead of paying its cost. And it destroys target non-black creature, it can't be regenerated. This is a fantastic card against the initiative decks, because you can have something stupid like a Dryad Arbor, and if you can snuff out their first initiative creature and then take the initiative, you are in an incredible position in that game. Now that some time has passed, I'm comfortable telling this anecdote on air. I played against Hello Newton, who was on this wild build of elves with multiple snuff outs, like multiple Dryad Arbors, and I just lost a game where he, I think he snuffed out my first two creatures and held the initiative with a pair of Dryad Arbors, and I got destroyed. It was not close. Then he, like, made it worse by dropping in, like, Strict Proctor or uh, Hushbringer. I forget which one it was. One of the things that has a pseudo Torpor Orb effect on it. And let me tell you. Can we just call the deck The Rock? It is not Elves. The, the, like, this is The Rock, Phil. Yeah, th- this is one of my favorite things, uh, David Lance, known Death and Taxes aficionado, tried the deck and called it Elf because there was only one <laughs> in the build that he played. Uh, it's back up to two. It does have Allosaurus, Shepherd, and Elvish Reclaimer in it, but there are only two elves in this elf deck. This is, I- I've been calling it uh, Fiend Artisan Elves, uh, at least put the Fiend Artisan in front of Elves. I think the community calls it Cradle Control. At least that's what I've heard Newton call it. 
I don't know if that's still what they're doing, but this is not elves in any sort of way that makes sense to someone who hasn't seen the list in three months. Yeah. Which is important to this conversation because combo elves is going to come up later on. And fiend artisan elves is not. Burn. In, in online circles, so many of the elves players have gravitated towards Newton's build because like the people who have been playing this online have done very well. But one of the things that we've said on this podcast a couple of times is like when you go to paper events, you don't you don't see that build. It's just not there. And the combo elves versions, the more traditional versions are are what you see in the wild. Yes, the on Magic Online, if my opponent leads on Green Sun Zenith for Dryad Arbor, I'm preparing for a grindy mid range game where I'm going to have to beat Fiend Artisan in paper. I am preparing for Glimpse of Nature, which is a card that the the Newton elves does not play combo elves is really good against white initiative you go wide you go fast you you don't really with the addition of alice where shepherd you don't even care about chalice of the void you have enough little shitters that you can take the initiative and then block and keep it if that's what the game is doing and combo elves is really good against control historically speaking uh, at least ever since the sensei's top ban when they can't just float terminus until they freaking feel like it God, I hated that shit. When Control actually has to answer it on a one-for-one Swords to Plowshares this, Prismatic Ending, that kind of basis, Combo Elves is kind of a nightmare. Reed Duke ended ninth on Breakers. or No, it was a clean cut. It wasn't on Breakers. He ended up ninth place with Combo Elves at the American Eternal Weekend in paper. All right. uh, With that, why don't we go ahead and start talking about the, uh, the other Eternal Weekends. Why don't we start with the Legacy Online Eternal Weekend? These were both happening the same day, by the way. Uh, it was like we a lot of us were at the paper Eternal Weekend. It's sort of like, I don't know, I'm three and one. Do I think I'm going to go seven zero to make top eight from here? Should I just drive home and play an online Eternal Weekend? That was a very common theme among the people in the room at paper Eternal Weekend. These were running concurrently. Everything else so far, we've at least been able to see last week's or the day before his list. Uh, to tell the story these are happening at the same time anyway go ahead phil the legacy online eternal weekend has three delvers in top eight three combo elves one initiative and one four color control stockholm syndrome that's what i have to say Uh, i know that i touched upon it when brian was looking up that card name that i've already forgotten because it's a five mana walder creature but cast defiler there you go but delver of secrets everyone's so excited to talk about initiative and I think that we're just like so used to Delver being oppressive that nobody even cares. They're like, of course, I got half of the top eight. What else is in there? Like, just no one cares anymore. It's pretty cool to see three combo elves again. I think that is a sign of a metagame that is evolving around the initiative. And that's honestly, in my opinion, a sign of a healthy metagame. Like decks should be able to adapt around something and rotate it out a little bit. Like, I'm not surprised that there was one initiative that made top eight, but three deck that is the direct answer to that deck that's a great sign yeah and the the morph to combo elves we talked about this a little bit the reason fiend artisan cradle control evolved was doomsday was just near the top of the metagame delver was the top of the metagame elves just could not beat faster combo decks especially if they had force of will in them that was historically a problem yeah, you you basically get a buy against Death and Texas, and you are a buy against Doomsday and Show and Tell. Fiend Artisan Cradle Control has pretty solid combo matchups across the board, but now it's just a mid-range creature deck against those Death and Texas and Stompy kind of things. So your your great matchups have changed 
even though you still claim to be elves, you can't think of it. Like if you stepped out of 2019 with tons of elves reps, you will not play this deck, the the Fiend Artisan deck, with any amount of correctness or or confidence or competency. It's just a different thing. On the note of Doomsday here, I think Doomsday went from being one of the best combo decks in the format to a deck that I don't think I would be willing to show up to a tournament with right now. I think the initiative matchup is very scary for Doomsday because the creatures get so large so fast, especially like it's scary when you have to do a pass the turn Doomsday line and you don't know how much you're getting hit for. You don't know like how quickly trap is going off sometimes. Uh, your Street Wraith lines become scary. Hate bears ranging from Archon to Ameria to Anointed Peacekeeper can come down to mess with your lines afterwards. Uh, I I don't think I'd be caught dead playing Doomsday right now. One thing to note about what Phil's saying is the Doomsday deck is typically constructed to answer things on the stack and not after things have resolved. So answering a resolved Archon of Emeria, for example, is very difficult. That said, they can traditionally just win through it. So the reason that this is an issue is that if you're the initiative player, you're facing Doomsday, they've just lost half their life, you go back to your turn, your initiative creature gets two plus one plus one counter, so that's roughly half of what they have left. You attack, and then you can, in your post-combat main phase play another initiative creature that can't be countered by force negation so they have one days and four force of will but if you're the initiative deck you most likely have four cavern of souls or at least a lot of them do and good luck beating that on the stack you're dead to trap yeah the initiative being able to happen multiple times in a turn as combat is exchanged or additional creatures are deployed 20 divided by two minus five minus five is zero in my book anyone can check my math and let me know sounds dead to me i i will say at least in vintage where obviously that's a different thing like you get ancestral recall and black lotus in that format i one of my friends uh brian palace top aided the vintage eternal weekend he was undefeated in the swiss and he spent the whole day just black lotus doomsday you're dead cool white deck uh which again a different power level we're talking about but if you can get up under it, if you can turn one the Doomsday and win on the next turn, that's great. But you cannot play those mid-range past the turn pile or past the turn two or three times to be super safe. That's just not a thing you get to do. Moving on to our final event that we're going to talk about, the Paper American Eternal Weekend. Again, simultaneous occurrences or close to it. There's three initiative decks there, another Cephalid Breakfast, one four-color control, one Naya Depths and two Delver. Yeah, shout out real quick to Hang Chong, who got second place with four color control in that paper event. Also, shout out to Chris Percival. He was the Naya Depths player. He's a local Pittsburgh player. He top aided one of the online Eternal Weekends with 12 posts last year. I believe he got ninth on Breakers in the Vintage main event this year. So he had a really good weekend and a good two years in a row at Eternal Weekend. And just fair and square Naya Depths. Depths is one of the decks that was identified as just ice cold the initiative and in a lot of trouble with that metagame shift. And But Naya Depths still beats Delver pretty hard and it's still solid against control. Uh, he navigated his way through that field representing that strategy. So I, I think... Um... Robert Hayes' mono-white initiative deck from this is a great example of some of like the deck-building differences between these builds. This build has Chalice of the Void in the sideboard, 
so that Swords to Plowshares can be played in the main deck instead, which I think is very smart and something that like I had advocated for previously, because like the number one and two decks in Legacy right now are probably Blue Red Delver and the initiative deck in some order, like flip a coin, whatever. And I think being prepped for both of those matchups in game one is more important than having Chalice in game one when Chalice is kind of a shitty card right now. You heard it here first. Phil Gallagher said that Chalice of the Void is a shitty card. Clip it, send it to me, share it on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate, right? Like, if I think about Chalice versus some of the popular combo decks versus combo elves, Alisora Shepard throws two double middle fingers at you until they have six mana, and then it kills you. If you're playing against Doomsday, it doesn't really stop their win conditions at all, unless you get saucy and play it on two but, you know, that doesn't tend to happen a lot because you'll often play out your Chalice blind on one. And I don't like it versus the, like, Hot Bant control deck because there's too many cards like Prismatic Ending that just answer it and too many cards that it does not shut off. Phil, I have a hot take for you. All right. I think that the initiative deck is incredibly poorly built regarding combo. You're the deck with Thalia in it. And then on top of that, it runs Archon of Amiria sometimes, Chalice of the Void. And then in the sideboard, there's fucking Nolrod and Mindbreak Trap. Are you trying to beat the 0.01% of the metagame that still plays Storm for some stupid reason? Why is your decklist constructed this reason? It makes no sense. Somebody overcorrected week one, and then everybody since then has just copy-pasted decklists with slight variations instead of just fixing the problem. Like, it makes it makes me livid. I think the Monoway community in general is just fuck Bryant Cook in particular. I mean, I get it. I think that is a fair point. But yeah, that does sound like a lot for a matchup that's probably solid seriously addressing the point though robert's list doesn't even play thalia whereas the red white version in the same top eight does play thalia there is there is not fucking agreement on what is and isn't supposed to be in this deck list right now like they are all over the place it might take another month until we're at the point where it's like okay this is roughly what you should play minus the three or four flex slots we're we're not anywhere close to there yet right uh i sat down in this event and the match next to me was mono white versus red white initiative people are trying to get edges in initiative mirrors while also figuring out other matchups like how much can you lose in another matchup is having 12 initiative creatures instead of eight just the way to go over Athalia, or uh, just all of these questions are still being asked. Like, this is part of why I've been writing so much recently. It has been three or four months since I wrote anything for my Patreon, and now I'm writing my third article this month. Like, it's so interesting trying to figure out how to optimize this, uh, at least in my opinion, whereas some people are just drowning in the initiative and hate it, but whatever. I'm digging this legacy. Yeah, uh, I, I think we should end the episode when we get there on thoughts about the initiative currently. We'll, we'll save it for, for the end, but uh, there have been a lot of reactions to the initiative uh, ranging from whatever to ban it uh, and and we'll dig into that in a little bit one of the top eight competitors on initiative was chris mcguire who is a person who i've known in orbit of i believe he's toronto based and he's also a judge just a person that i've seen around legacy tournaments for for a decade or more and he let me borrow the cards to play white initiative on my channel last week took a night off of testing to let boss and roll record and ended up top eighting anyway so good vibes paying out for chris and to co-sign one of your points one of our two delver pilots in this top eight is none other than samantha murphy 
who is known for playing Tempo Doomsday. And Phil just went on a, a large discussion about why Doomsday is not good right now. Sam Murphy, one of our uh, our illustrious Doomsday pilots, top aided the Legacy Pit earlier this year, constantly farming the Buffalo Chicken series up in Ohio, where she's based. Uh, it's she was just on Delver, no Doomsday. Uh, there, there's something to be said there. So as we're approaching the tail end of this episode, maybe it's time to talk about some general conclusions over the past couple of weeks. I, I think the low hanging fruit here is that. Blue Red Delver and the Initiative are probably the two decks to beat. If you are testing, like these are the most important things to be thinking about. Kind of as has come up a couple of times in this episode, the Initiative deck or decks are not standardized yet. There's a lot of innovation going on there. There's a lot of learning how to fight the mirror. How many hate bearers or chalices can you give up while still having a reasonable matchup spread across the board? Do you splash? There's a lot of disagreement there. Cephalid Breakfast is putting up a surprising number of results, so this may be a sleeper pick for the format. And, you know, if you got a loan account and you're looking to learn something new, probably wouldn't hurt doing a league with that to, uh, you know, kind of learn what to expect when you're facing it on the other side of the table. Yeah, Combo Elves. Combo Elves making a resurgence. The Fiend Artisan builds were, we talked about this already, they were sculpted to solve a specific problem. And that problem was primarily Doomsday. And Combo Elves solves a different problem, which is mono-white creature decks. Four-color control, I'm happy to say, is still a strong option. There was steadily one copy of this deck in, I believe, all of the top eights we discussed. Oh, uh, the Four Seasons had blue-white-red control, Jeskai, instead of four-color. But one copy of four-color made the top eight in all of the events except for that one which was just blue, white, red. So control is still out there. I don't know representation versus conversion. If four color, like obviously four color is just full of great cards. And if you play tight and, and matchups break your way or whatever, anyone can make top eight, but steady presence in everything we've talked about. And you're playing all the best cards across most of the colors. You should be able to figure out how to metagame for whatever you want to be. Dark Ritual combo is underrepresented. We have one Doomsday in the European Legacy Masters, which is an 84-person tournament. It's not quite as large as the Eternal Weekend events. And then the other Dark Ritual deck was the first week the Asia Championship after the Initiative deck was released. There was no Initiative even in that top eight. Right now, it's tough to be a Dark Ritual gamer. I think if you want to be a combo, if you're a combo gamer at heart, look at Combo Elves, Cephalid Breakfast. There's something going on with your combo deck having a backup plan involving creatures right now. If you're a diehard combo fan, look at those. You could even consider audibling to something like Snake and Show. And finally... Death and Taxes put up zero results in any of these events. And Death and Taxes, especially Yorian Death and Taxes, had been very consistently putting up results for a long time. But I think many of the players who would have been on this deck have switched to the initiative deck. That's an interesting question I want to spend a minute or two on with Phil here. Death and Taxes versus the initiative. It seems like on one hand, Death or initiative is just a turbo version of Death and Taxes existing on many of the same axes, but getting the game over. But on the other hand, Death and Taxes is built to stuff creature decks and slowly take over. What do you think of that matchup? I haven't played it many times like just the way my pairings have broken. I think I've played against it once or twice and it felt very good to be on the initiative side of that matchup. 
I, I, th I think Death and Taxes just has too many slow hands. Yesterday, for example, I was playing a white-black initiative build versus 60-card D&T, and it just felt like my opponent wasn't playing Magic against me. I, I think they should have mulliganed their hands for what it was worth. I have a screenshot of beating them in game one where they had a Cauldra on turn three, and I won that game. I just had, I think, six initiative creatures in play at the end of the game when I finally found a Solitude or whatever so that I could swing for lethal. Um, I, I think the initiative just buries them in card advantage. That's the impression that I have from a small sample size of games. Fair enough. I, I only recorded with White Initiative once, and Death in Texas was one of my opponents, and I felt very lucky to get over the finish line. They had a strong Aether Vile, Mother of Rune starts, and they, they have flying creatures, they have Mana Denial, they have their own solitudes. Uh, I just felt like I had to run a little hot in Game 3 to barely get over the finish line. Uh, again, sample size of one, so whatever. I also think I might have a different thought if I was paired against a better player. Fair enough. So, sometimes the rounds be like that. Also, you are a better initiative player than me. Maybe you would have rolled the same opponent given the same tools. I don't know. Alright, final question. Let's let's answer that question we hinted at. What do we think about the initiative in Legacy overall? Feel free to take this question wherever you like if you want to tirade about Commander products seeping into eternal formats go nuts uh, or you know whatever uh, phil let's start with you because we know you're happy about it this is the most fun that i've had playing legacy in the last year i feel like i have a problem to solve that i am passionate about uh, and that's very fun for me i also think the initiative has brought balance to legacy previously i felt like a lot of decks were either getting buried by EI or just immediately losing to Merktide Regent. And I feel like these initiative threats give you something that can make white decks keep up with EI in terms of card advantage and give you similarly costed threats that compete with Merktide Regent. Um, so whereas previously I'd been really heavy on the like legacy needs bans, I'm so bored, I'm so tired of the same thing that I've been seeing forever train. I'm now on the like legacy doesn't need any bans. Like let's watch this play out over the next couple of months. This is so interesting to me. I'm with Phil that I think that the initiative is completely fine for legacy. I have seen some Delver players on Twitter that are not too happy about it, but uh my stance is, how does it feel? Really, how does it feel? Other people get something you don't like for once? Boo-hoo. Suck it up. As far as Commander products and Legacy go, I think it's completely fine. I've seen there's a lot of talk about like reviving Heritage Legacy, if that's who you would like to call it, or no Commander product Legacy. We don't need to dive back into the sub-format stuff again, but I think it's all fine. Like, you take Commander products out of Legacy, you lose stuff like Flusterstorm. I know that it's in, like, Modern Horizon or Iconic Masters now or whatever. It's in Modern, but there's so many cards that are iconic to Legacy that are actually in these supplemental sets, and we actually did an entire episode on that. So no format is ever going to be exactly what one individual wants or what multiple individuals want, so just appreciate what you have. And also, fuck Delver. Fair enough. I also think the initiative is fine. Came in like a wrecking ball. It's a powerful mechanic that shook stuff up. And it the people who are able to figure this stuff out quickly deserve some early tournament wins. And then we will start to drift back in the direction of, of equality as people figure out how to fight these things and also you know i'm not mad at commander players because their products are in the format i like that's a preposterous way to feel about anything 
and you know stop it grow up if you feel that way if you're mad at anyone be mad at wizards of the coast for overprinting all these things but that's a different thing leave the commander players the individual human beings alone other thoughts on the initiative for me are uh I haven't seen it in a blue day shell yet. How about that? Stoneforge Mystic into White Plume Adventure backed by Force of Will. Let's get into that space. Nobody's really pushed that envelope yet. Uh, wait for Triumph of St. Catherine to drop on Magic Online. Uh, how, how does the White Initiative fare against two mana 5-5 five, five lifelinks at instant speed? How about them apples? In we got more coming. The, this is the tip of the iceberg. We don't even know how to build White Initiative yet, much less Blue Initiative. So on that note, Ravenloft Adventurer is not on Magic Online yet, and once it is, you can play, I believe it is 20 initiative creatures in a two-color deck comfortably, so that's a thing to keep in mind. I believe Undermountain Adventurer, uh, which is a green initiative creature, is also not on Magic Online yet. So for the people exploring like the noble hierarch sort of initiative shells, where instead of going all in on Ancient Tomb and City of Traders, you just play Ancient Tomb and then some Mana Dorks. Like, that is another reasonable creature for you to play there. And some of the supporting cast for the Naya Initiative build isn't online. There's a green-red X creature from the Warhammer 40k Commander deck that is not on Magic Online yet that has been seeing play in that shell and paper. Yeah, so we got more coming. This is not even all of the cards that exist. Uh, we don't have... Comet Stellar Pup, which is a card that I've seen popping up in control decks and paper. I don't think it's good. I don't like introducing die rolling into my legacy control decks because I want to know what my cards do when I, I cast them. I haven't seen it in play yet. Maybe the aggregate is so powerful that it's worth playing. There's a lot that we just don't have in the the, the league scrape data, the, the, the weekly trophy drops. It's not even there. And I am extremely stoked for triumph of saint catherine i can't wait to play that card i feel like i'm gonna cast a lot of that card in the coming five years i hope i'm right entirely my shit and i might even play it with white bloom adventure who knows blue white initiative miracles sign me up for that all right so i throne of the dead three and it enters with an additional plus three counters get wrecked nerd yes please eight eight lifelink all right on that note why don't we go ahead and call it an episode i hope you all enjoyed listening have a great rest of the day